In this episode, we do real talk about neurodiversity and intuition. This is a tricky topic because we really do not want to invalidate anyone's experience as a neurodiverse person. We believe that that can exist as well as intuition. So we seek to see the connection between the two and the patriarchy's role in creating these systems that don't really work for anybody. Hi, I'm Heather Wood, and I'm an intuition and ego expert. And I'm Jamie Hayhurst, and I'm an energy healer. We're both passionate about smashing the patriarchy, integrity in the spiritual world, and social justice. This is the Intuitive Girl's Guide. Hey, Jay, we're going to talk today about neurodiversity and intuition. Mm-hmm. The reason that we're doing a whole episode on this, one, because it interests us greatly, but two, right. because a couple weeks ago we did a listener feedback episode. Yep. At the end of that episode, we answered a question about neurodivergence versus shadow work and like knowing which thing is needed. Right. And I think we only talked for like two minutes about it, but we got like so much feedback of people asking us to talk about this subject more. Yeah. The people were in our DMS on Instagram and they were commenting on the post about that episode saying um, how much it impacted them, like how helpful it was and that they'd had the very same questions and concerns. Yes. In a way that like really excited me. Agreed. And can I, can I open this episode with saying something that I really, really love about you? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Whenever we're going to do a topic like this, that I know requires some thoughtfulness of how you're presenting the information. I am so incredibly grateful that you are the person that you are, because I know that you are going to run everything through that lens and your ability to be thoughtful of how people might take in information and being careful not to insult anybody accidentally or hurt anybody's feelings or make anybody feel left out or overstep in a place that's like not our place to speak about. I'm so grateful for that. And so I'm going to need you to help me with that here in the beginning. Cause I have like some spicy takes. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to help with that. I think that's something that I'm sort of naturally inclined to be good at feels like I'm running analytics on things when I'm doing things like that. But also I think that it's even more of a concern for me lately because I think we see, I know that we see this like intuitive wellness culture doing a lot of like, spinning and like Mm. shaming or like saying, oh, you know, you could cure cancer with drinking a fruit smoothie every day or like really dangerous stuff that we're hearing from like what we would consider like our community sort of. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do not ever want the IgG to come across as a platform that's like, pay us $99 and we'll solve all your problems or or, or like, I don't want to disparage or minimize the things that people go through. Exactly. Because there's this thing that you see, especially when it comes to neurodivergence in 
the spiritual world where it's sort of like that there's no such thing as it. And I hate it. Yeah, because it completely diminishes the journey and the struggle of people who are dealing with it. So I just want everyone to know right now that that is not what this episode is. You're not going to hear us go on and on about how it's just intuition. So like, that's not, that's not what we're here to do. <laughs> that's no. not going to happen. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. And, and, and again, I mean, from that listener episode, we love the feedback. Like if you disagree, let us know as long as you're nice about it and polite about it. That's yeah. cool. We love to hear it. We're, we're presenting you the information that we have, um, the theories that we have and the experience that we have of, of living with neurodivergence or people with that in our, in our lives. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Okay. I feel better having said that. Yep. I always feel better knowing you're running the scan to make sure that we're being thoughtful all the time. (laughs) And so I think, I think where I'd like to start is kind of defining what it is to be neurodivergent or what neurodiversity is and talking a little bit about that. And then I have like so many different places I want to go about talking about this, that this may end up, we may have to like go to do more future episodes and that would be a great place for us to include listener feedback as well. So please add in your, your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I think if we just start this conversation, we have an episode about it and then we get the feedback of what people are feeling or thinking about, then a second episode could build off of that feedback. Exactly right. Okay. So the definition for the term neurodivergence is it's a term for when someone's brain processes, learns, and or behaves differently from what is considered typical. Right. So it's like neurotypical, you know, as opposed to neurodivergent. Yes. I would like to say that in most every definition of that word in articles that I was reading by like people who I like, I valued their opinion. Mm-hmm. The term typical was in quotes. Exactly. Exactly. I would like to say my issue with the way we look at neurodivergence has nothing to do with saying I don't think it exists. No. My problem has to do with saying that there's like a typical brain. Like that's a myth that there's a normal or typical brain. I have lots more thoughts on that. But that's to me where like I want to (laughs) argue. Agree. That's exactly where, that's where I would like to talk about it too. That's where mostly all of my thoughts and concerns exist is around that topic. Exactly. And it, it goes against everything we know about intuition and how we work. Exactly. So you'll hear a lot of that wrapped into this and also how the idea of something being typical or there being like rules created to say like what something is like gender could be one of those things, but I would certainly say learning style would be another. The only reason that those exist is to give somebody control over people. Right. The the question that I've learned to ask myself when I come up against something that is telling me this is the standard, this is the typical way to do something. This is the standard way we do this. I now think to myself, Who does this serve? Yes. Perfect. And if you ask that question with 
neurodiversity, which is a term I enjoy. I don't really, I don't know how I feel about the other terms, to be honest. And I don't really know if it matters how I personally feel, but I, I like neurodiversity. When I, when I answer that question that you just said, it's the patriarchy and capitalism. A hundred percent. So if if you're wondering where this is going, it's going there. Exactly. Yeah. I would also just like to say that the term neurodiversity was coined by a sociologist named Judy Singer in 1997. Okay. Interesting. I think it's also interesting to note that Judy Singer um, was diagnosed autistic. Okay. So I just think that like, to me, not that you need extra validation if you're like in that field already, but I like that this kind of stuff is coming from someone with personal experience. Exactly. Agreed. Now the trouble here for me is like where to start because I have so many different things to say and so many places to go. But I think what makes the most sense to me when we look at neurodiversity is to look at the American school model. Yes. Right. I think you have to look at like, where do people start having a quote unquote problem with people being neurodiverse or, or where, where do they start having a problem with people not being neurotypical and that's in school? Exactly. This is where the idea of not being what is considered neurotypical, I have more thoughts on that in a minute. Right. This is where the idea of that becomes something that's considered other and less than. Exactly. Being neurodiverse outside of school in in most atmospheres, you know, obviously it doesn't work for everyone, but in most places, it's not going to show up as like you're lesser or you're you're bad or you're other until it's being measured here. Right. And the 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 problem with this in its entirety is that other shouldn't be bad. But <laughs> right. in this society, you being other is almost always automatically connotated to being a problem, a being a negative, or being some sort of deficiency. Where being other actually, there's nothing wrong with being other, but that's it's coded in our culture that it's problematic. Exactly. Okay. So when when we're looking at this, the first thing I think about is what is being considered neurotypical? Right? <laughs> that you can sit, you can listen, you can shut up. Yeah. All all in my in my list too. I also have compliance and obedience. Yep. How well you can meet other people's expectations. Yep. Being able to endure unhappiness, struggle, or discomfort. Ugh, yep. You said this, like conforming, right? Mm-hmm. To to and not just to like what's expected of you to learn, but also to your social surroundings. Right. And then you're rewarded for overworking. Yes. And punished for being average or less. Exactly. Now, one of the things that always sticks out to me is that the grade, we'll talk about grades in a second, but the grade C is considered average. So really getting a C means like you're, you're at the level that people would just expect. Yes. But in our culture, at the same time, if you get a C or a less, you're considered doing bad. Like there's shame and guilt brought to you because of that. Exactly. Agreed. 
Yeah. And I think we should point out here, I'm running my scans, (laughs) (laughs) that because I know for a fact that we have a lot of teachers that listen to this podcast and our beef isn't with teachers because I will say that I am seeing so many teachers that I know personally, but also on social media, on TikTok and Instagram that are really starting to create environments where all of their students can start to thrive and be seen and be validated. So the the problem isn't the teachers. The problem is once again, the structure. Exactly. And I would like to say all those teachers doing that are doing that in their own time, their own money, their own money. They're not getting rewarded. In fact, a lot of them are getting punished for doing this. Yeah. So if there are any heroes in this whole scenario, it is the teachers in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, they're doing like, they're doing the legwork. They're out like on the sort of like the pr- proverbial battlefield. Thanklessly. Yeah. Yeah. So agreed. I will, I will say, I don't really have a story of neurotypical or neurodivergence as far as my kids go, but I do have a son with a brain injury. Mm-hmm. And I will say going through the pandemic and doing like remote learning and in person and all of this absolute shit being thrown at teachers these teachers were all still prioritizing making sure my kid who was struggling with this was doing okay they were going out of their way Mm -hmm. in that environment and so anyone saying that teachers aren't superheroes I you know they are I disagree fully disagree absolutely we both have so many stories of that that you know we won't get bogged down with but I think it's really important to celebrate that so many of these teachers are, despite the system that they have to work in, doing their best to get help to every kind of learner. Agreed. Yeah. I would like to say that what I think, what the reason I think neurotypical exists is because the people who are creating the schools and the school model, which is the patriarchy, right? Correct. Okay. They are creating a model based on the kind of adults in the workforce that they want. Exactly. And the the things that we just listed of like compliant, obedient, obedient, performing, like learning to suffer, right? Those things are the opposite of intuition. Correct. Right. Okay. So it's, it's not just saying like, we're going to talk to you about how there's like a lot of overlap with highly intuitive, highly sensitive, empathic people and neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. But what I'd like to say right here is that there's also the line of, even if you are highly intuitive, naturally you're in an environment in school for what, like six hours a day where you are being taught to ignore your intuition. Exactly. Right. So when you start to go like, well, what do they want? They don't want you to be intuitive. They do not want you to speak up when something doesn't feel right. They do not want you to seek happiness and fulfillment and follow desire, right? Right. right. They do not want you to be rebellious or speak your mind or or look to get your needs met. They want you to learn to comply, learn to suffer. And then there's this whole sort of structure where it's like overwork Climb the ladder. That's capitalism, right? Right. Suffer all the way till you get to the top, and then then you can suffer with money. 
Right, exactly. And that makes me think of how, like, I think we've spoken about this before, but like the perfect attendance award. Yes. Like we're looking, like we're, we're rewarding kids for pushing themselves and for, and not that there's anything wrong with pushing yourself, but like to the detriment of your health oftentimes, right? Like going to school, even when you're sick, because you, you want to get that award at the end of the semester or whatever, you know? And it's like, that doesn't serve anyone except your boss in 10 years. Yes. There is a difference between pushing yourself and like martyrdom. Harming yourself. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, people will ask me a lot, like, where is like the kind of line between, you know, just because my intuition tells me like, I don't want to do something or I don't feel like it today. And then like having to do it, like where, where, where is the line where you're still following your intuition and not your, you know, listening to your ego. Right. The, the fact that this is a question is just evidence that we don't know how to work with our intuition and ego together. Exactly. Right. Because both are valuable because yes, if you followed your intuition, you would probably like only, and you didn't listen to your ego at all. You would probably never go to school. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And some of, some of the neurodiversity that we see in people who are considered neurodivergent when it comes to the balance of how of their intuition and ego, you can see that they're dialed further to the intuition side and just need a little support in bringing the ego information into the equation. Right. Exactly. And vice and, and the other way around, you know what right. I mean? Like, yep. so there's so much here that the root of this that you have to understand is that the school model. Okay. Again, not the teachers. There also are some like administration that fight really hard. Jamie, your kids go to like oh my god, amazing schools that like don't do a lot of this stuff, right? But I've had to literally change my life to get them into those schools and to make that possible for our family. So like, not everyone can do that. It, It it shouldn't it shouldn't be such a struggle to get your kids into a school where they're they're not being forced into like the box of the patriarchy and capitalism. So very true. You are an exceptional human who can endure all that comes with that. (laughs) And that's not everybody, right? So it's just like looking at this model. And, you know, even when you're in these schools that don't follow this model, they're still being forced to like jam things into this sort of strange patriarchal structure that still doesn't always work. Right. And I, and I should add to what I was just saying is that I knew my kids were going to be neurodivergent mm-hmm. because the, I, there are family histories where I knew they were going to be neurodivergent in some way or another. I knew that that was going to happen. So knowing that being in, t- in touch with my own intuition enough, even years ago, I knew that I had to set them on the path in a, at a place where they would be taken care of and seen and loved. Right. So like, but you're talking about how, like we have to find a way to manage our egos and our intuitions is that like, I, I was lucky enough to know that, like I knew enough about my, my family, what it was going to, what the path was going to be like, sort of, I could sort of see it. And I knew I had to push us down a certain way, but that's not everyone's journey. Like that's not a choice for everybody. No, you're, you're right. It's not everyone's journey, but I do think there are, so many mothers out there that can relate to the story that you have of 
I mean, as your friend, I look at what you have to do for your kids to get them the education they need as to neurodivergent children as a full-time job. Right. And, and a lot of the things that my kids deal with wouldn't even be called extreme. I mean, right. they're, they're dyslexic. They have ADHD. Like, I won't say who's who and what's what, but like we are, we are working with dyslexia and ADHD. Those aren't like extreme cases. Those aren't, you know, we don't have like really severe problems, but trying to get my kids educated in the public school system with those issues is really, really hard. And it shouldn't yeah. be. And there are so many parents who I think are are listening, thinking about how they have to fight to get like IEPs and the amount of work. And like, I remember looking at one before of a client and being like, this is, you need a degree to understand this. And, and a lawyer sometimes, like you need money, you need resources to, to work in that system. Yes. And, you know, we were discussing this the other day about how like, if, if you're considered neurodivergent, a lot of times schools just say, oh, we don't have the resources, so we'll just send you somewhere else. Right. Like, what is that messaging? Exactly. That, that you're other. Yeah. Like, you're we other. aren't equipped. Exactly. You're, you're too much work for us. Right. You don't fit in here. Exactly. So it just circles me back to this question as like, well, what are you equipped for? What are, who are you teaching to? And what does it actually, what do you actually mean when you say neurotypical? Because I know it, I know like the definitions that you and I said, but I I would say I am somebody who would be as far as like taking tests and how I hit milestones as a child and how I performed in school. I think that I would be labeled neurotypical. I agree. Okay. I'll, I'll Go ahead. No, but I think you're going to say the same thing. There is nothing about the way that my brain works that I feel is like anyone around me ever. Correct. And I was just going to say, I think, I definitely think that I, up until very recently would have called myself neurotypical, but upon reflection, <laughs> I think I was just very, very good at fitting myself into what I've already called, what I call the box of capitalism. Like capitalism wants you in this box that then will someday become your cubicle or whatever, your laptop or wherever you have to put yourself, right? And I think I was very good at assimilating and and keeping up and masking and doing whatever I needed to do to like, to be good enough, to like, to, to meet that standard. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I have a hot take and it's an opinion and I want to share it and I want to see what you think of it. Okay. I think that there are, there's, there's a fork in the road for very intuitive people and there are two types and the type that I feel you and I are in the other type. Like, I think that there are reasons for these two different types. Mm -hmm. Neither is typical. Both are just highly intuitive. Okay. So when you think of when you think of intuition and in case this is like the first episode you've joined us on intuition is just being in touch with your feelings and your desire. Yes. And so when you ha- you're in touch with your feelings, you you're in touch with your desire to feel certain ways. You know you know how you want to feel in different situations and you're very led and guided by that. It's yes. just how you work. There are there are other intuitive gifts for sure. 
that yeah. go along. But those are those are the ones that are more talked about, like, you know, speaking to the dead or whatever. Like, that's all awesome and definitely part of being an intuitive person for some of us. But I'm saying like the basics of intuition. Right. At its core. At its core, that's what it is. Yes. So when you take that and you say, okay, some of these really highly intuitive people are going to additionally have the skill of being shapeshifters. Yes. Because we are so in tune to emotion, we can detect what other people want from us and shapeshift into it yep. when needed. Yep. That's type one. <laughs> yep. Type two are the people who their intuition works in a way that they will not shapeshift. Don't you dare ask me to shape shift and be different. I am too connected to how I want to feel and what I need to be. And both are designed to create change within these systems. Yes. Agreed. One from within and one from without one with like refusal to conform and one from like, gotcha. I've been here the whole time. <laughs> like, Do you know what I mean? Right. And I think that there's also sometimes like a lot of us have deal with like both of those like yeah. we're trying to do both and that's why a lot of us struggle with our intuition because you the shape shifting wants to lead you down that like people pleasing road but really you're like hell no this is I refuse so it creates that resistance absolutely it does some some of us are just born alchemists right where like whatever ingredients you throw at us we will take and we will transform with it and if you are also a shape shifter meaning <laughs> That you're going to mold yourself into what's needed in the moment. Right. When you're doing that, you're going to get stuck because doing that work without boundaries is what people pleasing is. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Doing, that, doing that work with incredibly strong, maybe too hard up boundaries is what refusing to conform is and what many times is labeled as neurodivergent. Yes. Could be. Absolutely. Okay. In addition to this theory, I would like to, while I'm on a roll with theories, say when it comes to your clairs, yes, I think that people who are clairvoyant and clairaudience, so that's psychic seeing and psychic hearing, I think that for them, it is far easier to look the part in school to shape shift into that than everybody else. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. I would love to take a poll to see how many people labeled neurodivergent have a top two clairs that aren't audience and voyant. That is a great poll. <laughs> That's okay. not to say that you're not neurodiverse. No. Right? So this is where this is where the trouble happens in our quote unquote community is that people will say, oh, you're not actually, you don't actually have ADD. You're, you're not actually autistic. You're just intuitive. You're just intuitive or your intuitions to whatever. We are not saying that in this moment. Not at all. It We're saying it. that the system is not designed for you. So exactly. you are going to struggle harder in the system with or without the label. Exactly. I would further like to say that I believe people who are claircognizant as their number one are most, I would say, I'm going to make up a stack because I don't know it, nine times out of 10 labeled <laughs> to have some kind of learning 
like learning disability even. That's the, that's the terminology that was used when we were kids. Yeah. So now it's called learning difference. Exactly. But when I was a kid watching Claire cognizant people being labeled that mm-hmm. was over and over and over and over and over again. Yep, exactly. Because the way that Claire cognizant people, that's psychic knowing. Yes. Well, it is my number two. It's not my number one. Jamie, I think it's your number one. It's definitely my number one. Clairvoyance is my one and claircognizance is my two. So it's just that you suddenly know something, right? So in order to understand how to like take in information, claircognizant people do not take in information the same way other people do. No. Could you explain how you take in information? I bet you can't. I cannot. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. All I know is that it's, all I know is that it isn't like, how most people do. I know it's, I know it's obvious to say, it sounds obvious to be like, Oh, I just know things. Right. But I do just know things. I just have thoughts, but they're not, but they're thoughts that are fueled by my, my intuition. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, I'm just, I'm, I'm downloading things, but I don't know it because it's not like coming into my vision. I'm not seeing symbols. I'm not seeing colors. I'm not hearing anything. I'm not, it's just something that I'm like, Oh, well, what about this? But I also then know that that's that. It's not like really a question. Exactly. So tell me one example of how any school model teaches to a claircognizant person. No, they, they don't. Everything is visual. Everything is auditory. Right. Everything is, I mean, I think some schools are starting to be more like experiential, but not that much, you know. I don't really think that we've studied how claircognizant people are taking in information. And so when you right. look at learning styles, like, so being claircognizant as my number two, clairvoyance is my number one. So that's how I can sort of mask that I'm neurotypical, right? Right. So the way that I best take in information is visually, because that's also how I take it in intuitively right? For me, that's the first step. And then my claircognizance will come in and sort of operate to me, like at the simultaneous thing. Like to me, it's almost like big maps are drawn, right? Right. Yes. It's not a linear experience for me to learn something. So that in itself would mean that I wasn't neurotypical. So my point being is that I don't think neurotypical is a real thing. And again, I I hope you'll say a good sentence so that we're not being dismissive of the difficulties of having a neurodivergence or a learning difficulty. But what I'm saying is all it is, is an ability to mask that it's linear for me to learn. Right. No, I, I agree with you. My hot take is I think everyone's neurodiverse. Right. I don't think anyone's neurotypical. I think some of us are just better at fitting into the box. Exactly. So I think that is what being neurotypical is. So, right. So you're saying that neurotypical is actually being neurodiverse, that everyone is that. I just, yeah. I'm saying that people labeled neurotypical are people who are better at shape shifting into appearing to learn in the one way that they're being taught. Exactly. Because you can be neurotypical, like every, so this is what I mean that like our society thinks of like neurodiverse as like being bad or less than like you can be neurodiverse, mm-hmm. you can be sort of like 
off the charts, reading ahead, you know, like doing work two grades ahead of everyone. Like you can be, you can be excelling. That's not neurotypical, right? Like, you know what I mean? But because we, there's sort of this, there's this subtle undertone that a lot of people don't want to talk about that when you say neurodiverse or neurodivergent, that there's like, I already said it, but there's this lack there's this deficiency, right? Everyone wants, you know, everyone will be like, most people now don't, wouldn't be like, oh, you're, you're not smart or something like that. They wouldn't say that, but there is this undercurrent that like the different is less, the different is not as smart, but that's not true. You can be, like I said, ahead, you could be in fifth grade reading at an eighth grade level. That's still not typical. Exactly. But it's conforming. Exactly. Because you're excelling, you're advancing. So now you're going to be, you're not going to be sitting in the cubicle. You're going to be the supervisor. Exactly. You're going to be in a bigger cubicle. <laughs> exactly. Maybe with like a window. Right. right. Exactly. There is, I think all of what you're saying is so right on. And I think the there are so many people, at least our age, and you know, I have a husband who has ADHD, right? So, why? Yeah, okay, we're, we're both in that boat. And I know he grew up thinking while he was in school that he was stupid. Oh, oh yes. And I mean, he that is, generation that was absolutely how yes. you were made to feel. He is the smartest person I know, but he never got good grades. Because all grades are is your ability to meet someone else's expectations. So if you're getting A's, you're doing a grade A, just like the meat, because it's based on the factory model, right? A grade A job of meeting the expectations of a teacher. Stop. 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 Say it again. Go back. Rewind. Say it again. (laughs) Okay. Getting good grades. All that is is a measure of how good you are at meeting someone else's expectations. In the grade. You get a grade A, just like meet, grade A meet would be, right? Because that's meeting the expectation of the product. Like grade A meets, like this is the expectation of the product we want to put out. This is our expectation. Because we took a factory model and we put it into the school system. Okay. And you can look up, there's so many interesting articles about this. And there are people who disagree that it's not a factory model. I believe it is, but like you can, you're, you can form your own opinion, but you're being taught, you're being rewarded for meeting expectations, grades. And what you get for grades is not a measure of your intelligence. It is not a measure of your creativity. It is not a measure of your IQ. It is simply a measure of how well you can meet other people's expectations. And do that through conformity. Through conformity, yes. Now, depending on your teacher, that will be forward or or backwards, right? Like I had teachers who I would get good grades in, even though I was not conforming fully. Right. So I don't want it to sound like the teacher is the bad guy here. The teachers are given like the rubric. They're given the test yeah. you have to teach to. Like it isn't, it isn't them. Some of them aren't great teachers. I'm not saying that, but there are most teachers are, are just working within the system. That's how they have to operate. 
But I will tell you, you're, we're telling kids that grades are so important and that making them feel like a grade is measuring how smart they are. And it's, it's doing the opposite, in my opinion. It's just saying, how could you conform? Well, but grades are important because that's the only way in this system that you can succeed. Exactly so right. Exactly right. They're not, they're falsely important, right? Like perfect clarification. Yes. You're set up on like, and that's what we, that's why we're talking about the systems and the structures. And I know that this is hard for people to hear. Like you're, you, you look at like the criminal justice system, the prison system, like those are taken from slave trades exactly. and, and, and there were systems that were created in this country to manage people and to, to maintain the structure of white supremacy and patriarchy. Right. The yeah. same. Don't get me started on how we have evidence that they don't work. Oh, right. And we have evidence of how they started, right? Like right. there's proof of all of this, but mm-hmm. you're also talking about a school system that was created to help enforce basically like the industrial revolution and create like factory workers. And now it's become like, now it's not the factory worker. Now it's, it's the office worker, right? Like that they were create. These are systems and structures that are created. And I can hear when you're talking and you're saying, you know, if you can't take the test, if you can't get the grade, then you're not conforming and you're not doing well. Right. And so you start to feel stupid or that you don't, that you're not good enough. And I can hear people saying in my head, (laughs) well, how are you supposed to test 20 kids, 30 kids, all to like the way that they best learn? And you're absolutely right that you cannot do that in this system. Yes. That's the problem. The problem, again, for the hundredth time is the structure. You cannot in in a regular everyday American public school teach 20 different ways to 20 different kids. It's impossible. And that's the point. (laughs) So that's, that's what it, that's what upsets me is that we're all set up to fail so that eventually we get so tired and we feel so shitty about ourselves that we just go along with it. And then, so we go through it. We go through the motions. We get the diploma. We get the college degree. We get the debt. We get the job, we get the nine to five, the 40, 60 hours a week. And then we're all stuck in this system. Mm -hmm. And the less privilege you have in this system, the less able you are to fight against it. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, for me, I look at school as this thing, like both of my kids can conform to the grade standard relatively well. Yep. So much so that they don't raise any red flags to anybody. Right. But both of them struggle daily with school in different ways. Right. But from my place of privilege, I can call in the resources needed to support that. I can fight against the things that I don't want. I have the privilege to do that. And the less of that you have, the less able and the less ability you have. I mean, I just watched the college admission scandal documentary, right? This is really wealthy people buying spots for their kids in college. Exactly. That didn't do the work. So I'm just, I just want to make that point that like, we're here saying this and and saying how difficult it is, but I don't want to, I don't want to like miss the mark with saying like, 
we're all trapped in it, some of us way more than others, and some of us with far dire consequences to being trapped than others. Exactly. Absolutely. It, you have to you have to try to get yourself out. And if you can't, if you don't have the privilege, if you don't have the quote unquote right skin color, or you don't have the right socioeconomic status, you don't make enough money, then you can't pull yourself out. Yeah, exactly. The less resources you have, which is so backwards in itself. And the story is told that you just, if you just knuckle through, if you just get the degree, if you just take out the student loans, you'll pull yourself out. If you just stop eating avocado toast, you'll pull yourself (laughs) out. Meanwhile, most people can't afford to buy a house in this country. Yeah. This is where the whole system starts. And it's also where it's it's the foundational base of all of it. And you can't only fight it. You have to fight all of it, right? Correct. It's a lot. I, I want to continue fighting it with you in this episode, but I think we should take a quick break and like take like 10 deep breaths. Maybe 20 maybe 20, and then come back and be fired up about it again. Okay. We'll be right back after this short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, Heather, it's season four. We're here for another season and we still have our favorite sponsor, Restoration Coffee. What coffee are you drinking these days, Jay? It goes back and forth between a Rachel and a Paige. I'm still drinking my Americanos. So if you want a fantastic cup of coffee to go with listening to the IGG or any other podcast that you might listen to, check out Restoration Coffee. You can go to their website. It's restoration-coffee.com. Check it out and tell them that the Intuitive Girl sent you. Yeah, can't go wrong. Hey y'all, it's Jamie with a little shameless self-promotion. We've had a lot of people reaching out asking about distal Reiki. So I wanted to let you all know that yes, you can book a session with me. If you'd like some distance Reiki, get in touch with me and we will set it up for you. Let's talk about what we're obsessed with this week. All right. This week we are obsessed and you're probably not obsessed about it because you're probably sick and tired of it. By the time this airs, (laughs) you're already done with this topic, but um, I'm going to bring it up briefly and then we're going to move on because it's actually a bigger topic. Just recently, there was sort of the slap heard around the world by Will Smith to Chris Rock Mm -hmm. in defense of Jada Pinkett Smith. Mm Mm-hmm. 
right? And so it's caused this whole thing. It has. And we keep getting people asking us to talk about it. And I know you have something to say about it before we say anything else. Well, and so we're, we're going to, we're not talking about it. (laughs) I mean, we are, but we're not like, so my opinion is as a white person, it's not my place to talk about how black people should or shouldn't be behaving. And it's not my place to talk about how to defend a black woman who black women who have historically been left unprotected by our country mm-hmm. since its inception. And so, by other white women. By other white women, the whole this whole thing about white women tears. Um, and I've I've seen so much self-centering mm-hmm. in this dialogue and this discourse playing out on social media about like about ableism and violence. And I agree that those are topics that need to be discussed. Mm-hmm. But at this moment, it's not our place to talk about what's happening with black people and and how they're managing themselves. It's not our place. No, our it's our place to do some listening and learning. Listening and learning, show some allyship. Yep. But never to judge because we don't get that. No. In the play in, in, in the way that black people and people of color have been treated, indigenous people have been treated in this country. Like we don't get to make decisions anymore. We've never protected them. We've never stood up for them systemically. That's never happened. Not saying there are allies out there that are doing it. Of course there are, but like it's not our business. For generation after generation after generation, people who look like us have not done this well. And I know that there are people listening to this right now that are pissed off that, that I just said that. That's <laughs> not our place. It's not our place. It's, it's not. not it hackles. It's just, a, it's just a place to look at why. Yes, exactly. exactly. But you have a point that I think is really important. The sort of like you, you zoom out, you look at this scenario, and yeah. you, you've brought up a very good point about it. Thank you. Yeah, I'll say this. And my point about it, is not has nothing to do with the actual incident. Exactly. It's exactly. about what we do as a culture when we respond to things like this. Yep. And that is that we miss the whole entire fucking point. Yes. <laughs> we choose a side. Immediately. We've become so polarized and so influenced by the media. I mean, see our episode on propaganda if you would like to understand what's going on there. Where yeah. you are to say, okay, I I believe this person did the right thing and this person was wrong. Or I believe this person was right and this person was wrong. This person is good. This person is evil. We are taught to do this and yeah. we are put in it. And if you have been sucked into it, I, I don't mean this as a place of, of judgment or shame for you. I mean it as a wake up call to something that is not serving anybody. Right. Exactly. When you start to get into right and wrong arguments, when you start to say this person was right and this person was wrong and and take a side and fight on that side, Mm -hmm. you lose the thing that is so intuitive about why issues like this become such hot topics. Agreed. The issues here in this situation have to do with the lines we've drawn as a society. Mm -hmm. This is where the conversation should be. Exactly. Why have we drawn the lines around um, you can say anything, but you can't 
hurt anybody? Why have we drawn those lines and where are they and are they where they need to be? Right. Like you can hurt someone verbally, but you can't hurt someone physically. Right. And I'm not taking a side. We don't need to take a side. We could just look at those lines and where they are and if they make sense still. Right. And and again, like this, this incident that we're not talking about, but (laughs) but like as an example, it's so layered with ableism, with, with misogyny, with racism, with privilege. You're on, you're on an Oscar stage, right? It's so layered that when you go in and you immediately decide who's right and who's wrong, you lose the opportunity to learn about those different layers and how they're all impacting the situation. Cause you're so dead set on your guy being right that you lose, you lose the perspective of, of the other people. Yes. And it's so patriarchal, right? It's, it's, it's that effect of patriarchal religion where there's good and there's bad and there's right and there's wrong. And it's, it's one or the other. And it takes away the concept we always had in, you know, as pagans before patriarchal religion, that everything is both. Right. Exactly. Every, you know, it, it's the same with like tearing someone down or completely canceling them. Should there mm-hmm. be punishment for things that people do that hurt other people? Yes, there should. But right. I'm not sure that the way that we actually heal stuff is by then, you know, outcasting them from people forever or saying they're wrong forever. Instead, if we looked at like, what was motivating them and where, what the reaction was and what, what happened to get there and like have discussions, not right or wrong arguments. If we looked at things like that, we would get somewhere. We would heal things. We would have conversations that helped other people. Like being on team Will or team Chris is doing nothing for anybody. Exactly. Certainly not for Jada. No. <laughs> Exactly. And, and, you know, centering yourself in what, if you think Jada should have been offended or not offended or like, isn't fair either. Like that's, that's for Jada. Exactly. Exactly. So I I think this presents like sort of a, a microcosm, right? This is just like a snapshot that we see of a much bigger problem that if we can all sort of start to take a step back from this instant judgment and this instant side choosing, we will be a lot better off. Exactly. Let's do that. Let's check in to see if this is a place where we should be speaking up, right. in opinion, or if it's a place where should, we should be listening and learning. And then let's look at the issues that could actually improve things and have conversations instead of finger pointing arguments of who's right, who's wrong. Exactly. All right. So we're talking about neurodiversity. We're talking about how it relates to intuition and how the patriarchy has really created the label of neurotypical and neurodivergent. Right. Okay. Again, reinforcing that we are not diminishing the journey or the struggle of anyone who is considered neurodivergent. Right. We are more being critical of the systems that do not serve them. Correct. Because the idea that somebody who is not neurotypical, so somebody, how what I would say is um, less able to conform, yeah, that they are lesser or other is where all the damage is. Because yeah. 
it, you know what it reminds me of, Jay? We talked about this when we talked about sleep a little bit, that all people are designed to like sleep and wake up at different times, like to right. for optimal performance. Right. Exactly. And how that makes so much freaking sense that some of us are meant to be awake when some of us are meant to be asleep and at our sharpest at different times to run a society. Doesn't that actually make way more sense? Yeah. So I'm, and, and I've had very, very similar thoughts that like when we didn't want everyone working this sort of nine to five rat race before that, wouldn't it make sense that as a community, as a village that we would have all these different types of people that thought in all different types of ways that could then provide for the community. Then you have a full community, not everyone having the same abilities and the same strengths and weaknesses. It doesn't serve. Exactly my point. We jam everybody into this model of when you should wake up and when you should go to sleep. And we even have like real data that shows us that like, teenagers are not the majority of them are not at their peak early in the morning. And we have them go to school early in the, like we, we don't listen to this. Like we don't value this is how I should say it as a society. Because who's going to watch your kids. If you go to, if you go to work nine to five, but your kids going to school 12 to six, who watches your kids? It goes back to that question you you said before, like who benefits? Who benefits? It doesn't benefit the patriarchy. It doesn't benefit capitalism. If people aren't all on the same schedule and, and their workers have to worry about their kids being on a different school schedule. It's not a, it's not a coincidence. <laughs> all of these things are all lined up in the same way. Exactly. Exactly. So it really, to me, begs the question. What what is the system or the patriarchy so afraid of when it comes to having people who are considered neurodivergent be powerful? Oh, there's a lot of problems with that. <laughs> there's a lot of problems for them. Exactly. So what would you do when you, there's somebody who, you know, you're power hungry patriarchy, right? right? Who's not creative. There's no intuition going on there going, well, how do we keep that system with like those, those people, forgive my terminology, but that's what they would say, yeah. from becoming powerful and disrupting this entire system. Right, exactly. Make how do, them how feel other, make them feel lesser. Don't serve them. Don't educate them the way that they should be educated. Make it difficult for them. Have them labeled as other or lesser. That's what you do and pressure them into the system that they then eventually can't extract themselves from. Exactly. Right. Like if you, if you're strapped with neurotypical or neurodiverse, either way, if you're strapped with 50 to $200,000 worth of student debt, you can't leave your job. <laughs> right. And, and so, and you, if you're thinking, well, what is, what does the man care about that? Well, they care because you're still at your job producing, making their product, making them money mm-hmm. that they're taking right to the top. And you're just making X amount of a salary. Mm-hmm. So you're still in the system. You're still in their system that they benefit from. Exactly. And I think what frustrates me is that we keep doing these good like swings and like smashing and, and like 
showing that the, like, like pulling back the curtain, right? Like showing that this is bullshit. And I think of our generation, Jay, you know, we were born in the late seventies, early eighties, right. Where we were still kind of in that thing where like, you should go to college. College is the answer. Go to college, go to college, go to college. (laughs) Absolutely. And then a lot of people in our generation were like, how about no? And didn't go to college. Right. And the disrupt that happened when those people became incredibly successful, when you had people being celebrated, like, I don't know, like, like Bill Gates dropping, dropped out of college. Like, do you know what I mean? Like disrupting the idea that you need that and that you should go so far into debt that you, you have to work overtime all the time to be able to do that. We, we pulled the curtain back and people saw it, but then it sort of like didn't do what it should have in my mind. Like it still became this like status symbol to go to college. And then there's this whole thing going on now where like, well, there's a shortage of, of people who are in trades and it's like, and we need them. And it's like, well, cause there are no trade schools anymore. Yeah. Cause we don't value that because we put weird status and class symbols on certain kinds of education and certain kinds of jobs. And it makes no sense. Well, and also because trade schools also generally lead to unionization, right? which which is putting power in the hands of the people. So trade schools were were pushed back in favor of college educations because unions are more empowering. Exactly. So you, you look at this problem and you look at people who are neurodivergent and you go, they're the answer. Exactly. They're the key. Right. They're the ones who are going to actually tear this down because the more people who are considered neurodivergent, right. Who Mm -hmm. find their own path to success and refuse to conform, the more the system's going to break. Exactly. And, and the, and the more that you can take your neurodiversity, but then tap into your intuition and use your intuition to guide you with that, then you're twice as powerful because it's not, it stops feeling like um, a wall that you're running up against. It's more like you're using your intuition to, to fuel you and to push you forward with your neurodiversity. Exactly. Let me ask you a question about intuition in school. Okay. When you were in school, how much of your own intuition and your own emotions were ever focused on? None ever. (laughs) I mean, I'll say, I'll say now, like there's a push for SEL, like social emotional learning is happening and being brought into schools. And I'm like forever grateful for that. But when I was growing up, never. Mm -hmm. And, And even that is, is so great, but it's also not, there's no education of what to do when you don't feel a good like emotion that is pleasant. Right. Yeah. Well, it depends on who's teaching it, but yeah, exactly. But like, think about being in school for a moment and think right. about if you were having a really bad day or you had a really bad reaction to a test or a quit, like you just started to, and I'm using, I'm using like patriarchal language, calling emotions good or bad, but for the right. point of this, we're going to say right. that. Okay. So you had a, an emotion that would be unpleasant to people around you, possibly, God forbid, <laughs> right? Yep. What would happen is still the messaging 
that that's a bad emotion and that you need to leave and stop feeling that way. And once you feel better, you can come back. Right. Exactly. This is the basis for the idea that emotions are bad or that you shouldn't feel your feelings. And this is the exact way you undercut people's intuition. Exactly. Exactly. I don't care if you go to the, the most intuitive of schools, there is this idea still that the whole benefits from everyone feeling pleasant emotions. Mm, good point. Good point. Whereas there is no education for what to do when you feel a certain way. Yeah. There's no space and holding of space when you do feel an emotion. And so when you take conformers, like I'll call them shapeshifters because it sounds nicer. You and I have the ability to shapeshift, right? right. We could in school. We yep. could mask and we could appear okay when we weren't okay. Exactly. But the the more you go down the generational lines and, you know, listen to our episode if you haven't on indigos, crystals, and rainbows. Yeah. Well, look, we're the indigos, right? Right. Indigos are better at that. When you start going down the line to crystals and rainbows, they are not built to emotionally mask. They're not supposed to. No. So then you have this whole thing where like you're disruptive, you're you're bad. You need to go somewhere else to experience an emotion instead of like, Hey, that emotion's valid. Go feel it. And when you're ready to talk about it, let's talk about it so we can look at what happened. And what it does is it, it says that that information is invaluable and intuitively that information is mother effing gold. Exactly. And imagine Imagine feeling that about yourself and about the feelings you're expressing. I mean, imagine how powerful that is to feel that. Yes. Mm -hmm. In addition, we have, there's no focus on the individuality of how you take in information. Absolutely not. (laughs) There is, I mean, yes, we know learning styles, right? Right. But I'm still to this day seeing young people (laughs) making TikToks like shocked that like someone else's brain works differently than theirs or takes in information or like, oh, wait, you see stuff visually? I don't. As if that's crazy talk. Well, yeah. I and mean, people will be like, oh, do you hear yourself talking like throughout the day? And people, it's like this big phenomena because no one ever talks about that. Like those are different Claire's. Exactly. Exactly. Those are different Claire's that you're just processing information differently. There are so many times when I'll say to somebody, how do you take in information? If I said, what was your clear for most people? What are your team clears? They don't know how to answer that. They don't know what I mean. So I will say, how do you take in information best? Is it, is it visually? Is it by hearing it? Do you have to do it? Do you have right. to like sit with it for a while? Like how, what does that look like? And right. people don't know. No, they don't know. Grown adults, highly intelligent human beings have absolutely no idea. And it's because that is not valued again. No, you're not taught that. No. The other thing I wanted to float out to you is the difference or where the line is for conditioning versus learning. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Interesting. Well, and that sort of reminds me of the, 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 the meter, uh, the metric I use is, are you teaching my child or, or are you instructing my child? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Vast differences. Yes. I think they can overlap. Yep. But I think what you then do after someone you've given someone the opportunity to learn Mm -hmm. will tell you if it's conditioning or if it's actual learning. Exactly. Where's the application? Can you apply it? Can you, can you think about in other terms outside of the curriculum? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you can't, you've just been conditioned. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, of the stuff that I learned in school, I memorized to pass the test Correct. And then let it out of my brain because it wasn't something that I needed to use a lot. That's conditioning. Agreed. There are other things I learned in school that to this day I use, and it might have nothing to do with the exact lesson, but there was something in it where I learned something. Right. Exactly. And I kept it. Exactly. So I think this is important to look at. I I don't know who I can go in front of and, and, talk about this too. I mean, our podcast audience, but like, if we could really answer this question and we could look at how to keep it in the learning side and not the conditioning side, I I think we would have some major breakthroughs. I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. Because in my opinion, correct me if, if this is wrong, Jay, in my opinion, neurodivergent people aren't having trouble learning. They're having trouble with the conditioning. Exactly. Right. I mean, there, there's a problem with presentation, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're not being presented with the information in the way that they need or that works for their system. Mm-hmm. And then they're being asked to condition themselves to, to a model that doesn't work for them. Yes. There, there are so many times where I have conversations with people about tests. Mm-hmm. And the way that my intuition works, I am very good at tests. I could probably pass a test that I knew nothing about. You absolutely could. <laughs> that isn't, that's just a weird skill that's helped me in life. And it helped me to get good grades. It helped me to, I don't know, to pass things that I needed to like retain information for. It's just a skill. It's, it's an intuitive skill. It's a, I think it's a clairvoyance thing where I just know which answer, like visually can see the right answer. To be honest. Right. Okay. And then there are people who know the information, but as soon as they go to put it out in a test format, like it's the output of the information, they can't condition what they know and what they've learned into that format. Correct. But in our system, you would get the job. Yep. And you wouldn't and you wouldn't deserve it. Exactly. The other person wouldn't get it because they couldn't pass the test, they didn't have the right grades, but they should be the boss. Exactly right. That's the problem and that's the frustration of neuro neurodiverse people. Yeah. Exactly. So the thing is that the way the answer to solving this has to do with being far more creative in how we present information and then how we get the information output from people to see and express how they have taken it. I agree. Even the model where you walk into a room and the teacher is all knowing and the students sit and be quiet. Even that to me is quite questionable. Problematic to be sure. Yeah. Because it's not really true. No, I mean, you can say hello and gather the class and stuff, but that, that droning on at the board all day doesn't work for most people. 
Yeah. I mean, I remember being a kid thinking that the teachers knew everything about everything. Yeah. Imagine if it was okay to question. Or imagine if, if an adult in front of you modeled the idea that I'm not sure, let's look into that. I don't know the answer to that. What do you think it is? Yeah. Let's, let's learn how to research and look for stuff. Right. Exactly. I was the kid in class who would get in trouble for two, three things. I'll tell you all three. And I want to know what yours were because I think a lot of people can relate to these. Okay. Okay. Number one, talking. (laughs) Yep. Oh, what did you do? What did you do with your life? You talk too much. Well, I host a podcast where I talk for exactly. So there you go. (laughs) Right. Okay. The other thing I would get in trouble for would be questioning authority or questioning what I was being presented. Same. Okay. Again, for a job, I question what is being presented to make sure it's right. (laughs) Okay. Yep. Number three thing that I would get in trouble for would be teachers would say, we know you could do better than this. Yes. But you're not applying with everything that you have. And I would always say, why would I bother? Because... I can do this minimal amount and get A's and B's. Yep. Well, I, I can conform. I don't need to do all this extra work to show you how smart I am. Right. I was called an underachiever. Ooh, yeah. I got, I got good grades, but a lot of teachers could see that I was capable of doing more. Mm-hmm. They then unfortunately attributed that to me having a lack of motivation when it was really that I I wasn't being motivated. It wasn't my own personal lack of motivation. I wasn't being motivated in school. You weren't motivated. It's not the child's responsibility to to be motivated. Yes. Because you know what intuitive people are motivated by? Emotion. Desire. Right? And so there's none of that in the, like there, if I work harder, I won't feel better. Exactly. So why would I? Right. That's what happens a lot with intuitive people. And and my point to this is that whatever those things are or were Mm -hmm. are strengths. Right. All of those things for us are strengths. We use them on a daily basis in our work as a parent to smash the patriarchy, to problem solve, to get through life. All of those things are assets to us that we grew up believing were things that were wrong with us. Exactly. Exactly. It's so frustrating. Yep, it is. All right. I want to float one more thing out to you. I mean, I could talk about 20 million more other things, Mm -hmm. but I want to float out to you the role of stress and how we're taught to, to see stress in school. Okay. How often when you were a kid, when it came to school and going to school or doing schoolwork, did you feel stressed? Pretty frequently. Yeah, me too. I would say anytime someone brought up school, there would be an amount of stress that I would fear, feel. Right. And then you're talking about like timed tests and deadlines and things like that. I mean, it's the whole system's built off stress. Exactly. And it's built off of, again, the conforming, but it's like deal with it and still succeed. Right. Like stress, the the school is built in that stress should be the motivator. Right. Now, what would you say from an energetic healer standpoint, 
is if you could name one thing that was the cause of everyone's like physical, mental, emotional health starting to decline, what would you say that was? Well, stress because it causes, because it causes inflammation. Exactly. This is not an accident either. No, it lights up your whole system. I mean, stress and not the good lighting up. It inflames your entire system. Not, not only just your emotions, but stress has physical ramifications on the entire body. As a person who's an expert in intuition and ego and human behavior and being clear about, about my view, like the angle in which I'm looking at stress from, from Mm -hmm. that angle to me, stress is just a complete imbalance of fear and desire. Agreed. So if somebody says that they're stressed, I hear I have far too much fear and far too little desire. Agreed. So what I would then look at is going like, well, what's caused this? And every time I do that, it's that you've been conditioned to believe that stress should be your natural state. Exactly. And that your worth is based in how you manage stress. Right. And how much you can accomplish. Exactly. Yep. Where did that come from? Problematic. School. Exactly. Right. Like imagine if a lot of school was based on teaching you how to deal with complicated emotions and emotions that felt unpleasant and how to take fear and desire and and mix them together to get the outcome you want. Like imagine if that happened because the health issues that we see sparking so much right now and becoming these huge problems would disappear. Exactly. They're, they're a, they're an effect. This is the cause. That's the effect. Right. Exactly. All right. I know I said that was the last thing, but I'm going to say one more thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. When you think about an intuitive person, Mm -hmm. so our listeners, all of you, right. When you think about taking in in information, so intuition is just taking in information that doesn't start from like a cognitive place. Right. Right. Okay. So you take in information, you take in energy and it comes into your system through whatever clairs you experience it in. Mm -hmm. It's going to go through one or two. It's going to go down one or two streets. It has a choice. It's going to pick its path. Okay. One path is shame. Yep. The other path is esteem. Yes. Okay. So you could feel shame or you could feel esteem. So esteem meaning like holding space for yourself, believing in yourself, self-trust, like all of that comes from esteem because it's like the regard you hold yourself in, right? Exactly. You're not questioning it. Like, okay, this came in and I feel this way. If it goes down the path of esteem, what you'll do with it then is something powerful. You will actually learn from something. You will learn that like when information comes in and you feel certain ways, what to do and how to process that. Right. But if you go down the shame street, which is a street you're taught to go down, right? You're going to then experience guilt, weakness, powerlessness, and stress. Because the the matching up with what you want and the, the output you have to do, like they don't match. Exactly. And so when you, you create a system of conditioning that tells everyone as they're taking in any sort of intuitive information. And again, this could just be a f- experiencing emotion, right? right? And you go down the shame path with it. 
Like that means there's something wrong with you or, oh, I'm not gonna be able to do anything with this. Or even just the sensation at school where you're like, I don't want to be here right now. Exactly. If you go down the shame street with that, you will stay in that weak, powerless place where you'll, you'll, the issues will just keep going. It's a spiral. You start to spiral in it. Right. So if we could shift that and help people step more into esteem, I really wonder what would happen with people who experience neurodivergence. Mm. Like, yes, exactly. What would we see? What kind of answers and information would we glean from these people who aren't shape-shifting, who won't conform? What will we learn? What will we see in them? What what could they do in this life if that little shift happened? Right. And we truly honored and respected their, their d- neurodiversity. Like if we actually like walked the walk of that, right? And yeah. made them that feel like being that there is no real other, that we're all just different and we can be whatever we need to be. Yeah. I mean, instead of like being told, I think this more happened when we were growing up, Jamie, I don't know if it happens as much now, but like, Oh, you don't get good grades. You clearly have ADHD. So you should probably get ready to be like, to work outside. Right. And and limit somebody from what they should go, you know, try to aspire to be because of it. Imagine if it was like, oh, let me learn more about how you process stuff. And like, let's see how that matches up with the needs of the world. Right. Exactly. Imagine. I mean, it would be incredible. All right. Well, I have to stop us here because I will keep going forever, but I'm really interested to hear people's feedback. What do you think, Jay? Any uh, final thoughts about this? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that there's, I mean, I, I do think that there's a lot more to be said about it. Um, I would love to hear from the listeners. I'd love to hear the feedback from them and sort of probably build off a second episode from there. Exactly. I want to try personally to be better at explaining intuitive things to people in a way that is outside of clairvoyant and clairaudient. Agreed. Taking in of information. Agree. It's easy to do that. It's easy to get stuck there because that's how it's presented. So like, doing better with that. I know we had questions before about like knowing the difference between, you know, should I just feel shame about this or is it, should I be proud of it? Is a shadow work? Is this not like being able to present it in a way that it's easier for everyone to take it in is something that I want to really work hard on. I agree. Same. All right. I think in order to do that, we need coffee though. Yeah, let's go get some. All right. See you later. Hey everyone, Heather and I have an ask for you. If you love this episode or if you love the IGG, can you do us a favor? We need you to go onto whatever platform you listen on and download, subscribe, like, love, whatever it's asking you to do. Can you go do those things for us on the platforms that you listen on? It would mean so much to us. Thanks for listening to our episode. For a way to get in touch with us, please visit our website, intuitivegirlsguide.com. We love hearing your feedback on our episodes.